new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Show. My name is Josh Shayla, joined by Parton Simmons, Trey Scott, later by Connor Tapp. How are we doing today, guys? I'm Great. good. Yeah. We How got, are you doing, Barton? We got a Thursday night football game. Eagles, we, Packers? No. No, get out of here with that NFL mess. We got Friday night football Great games. Friday action. Um, and we got a pretty good slate on Saturday. I'm feeling good. Yeah, pretty good slate. The weather's uh, getting nice. It feels like football season. Well, it's supposed to be hot here again this weekend, oh. but whatever. Uh, hit us with your questions, comments. Through, uh, we'll be reading those throughout the show. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and get started, fellas. Um, so it's already week five. The season's whizzing by. I, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Whizzing by. Uh, That's good. Excuse no, you're right. It's great. Uh, so I thought we've got some interesting topics I'd like to start. And I want to start with Michigan first. So the mess going up in Michigan – they got throttled in at Wisconsin this weekend. Uh, where should we even start, fellas? Well, Trey, I, I think probably the first place I would start, and we talked about this a little bit mm-hmm. this week, is what ultimately is Michigan, what ultimately should be their expectation, uh, and and how far away from that are we? I mean, I think... This weekend was, was an ugly look. I mean, I don't, no one wants to see that. I don't care whether you're middle of the pack in the Big Ten or pulling up the rear, or certainly a favorite, but they got dominated on both sides of the football. This is a team that had playoff predictions all over the place in the preseason. There are high expectations, and I think the way I've phrased it is – Michigan is no longer a team that can have playoff expectations. They can have Mm. playoff hopes. Mm. Playoff hopes are okay. There's a chance that when the right year comes, the pieces fall into place, Michigan could make the playoffs. But to expect the playoffs, to expect to compete and contend for the playoffs year in and year out, I think ignores the body of work we've actually seen under Jim Harbaugh. I'm right there with you. And I think I kind of look at it in two ways. So... First of all, I'm surprised that we've arrived at this conclusion because Michigan, you want to talk about their recruiting, right? Like they're not always getting top five classes, but they're getting top 10 classes um, for the most part. And they've, we're not that many years removed from when they got the number one player in the country, Rashawn Gary, in 2016, and they had two top 12 draft picks last season. So they're recruiting okay. They're recruiting okay to put themselves in yearly contention, I think. The problem is... They just haven't gotten there. And I think my season that I kind of like look back on is 2016 when Michigan was ahead of schedule and they lost by one point at Iowa. And then they lost on a, you know, a sketchy fourth down call at Ohio State. And from there, ever since then, I thought Michigan can get back because I thought Jim Harbaugh was ahead of schedule. And now I'm kind of learning that this is, this is it. Like, but to say Jim Harbaugh is on the hot seat, I think is a really complicated question because I just don't know for Michigan if it gets any better than this. Michigan has had three 10-win seasons under Jim Harbaugh. Before he got there, they had had three since 2003. His win percentage is right there with Lloyd Carr's. 
It's far better than Brady Hoke's and Rich Rodriguez's. So to say Harbaugh is on the hot seat, I don't know. I think Harbaugh rubs a lot of people the wrong way. He can kind of be a jerk sometimes. But I don't know. I, I can't see how Michigan could do any better than him. But who's a realistic candidate that could do better? That's well, yeah, I mean, no. There's a, well, first of all, there's no there's no real hot candidates out there anywhere right now. I mean, Matt Campbell maybe yeah. is a guy that, that people are going to point to. That this is not a great time to to be needing a a big head coaching hire. And I, I don't even really want to go down that path. Like, yeah. I think that the idea of, of Jim Harbaugh being on the hot seat, I, I'm sure fans are disappointed, but I I'd be pretty surprised. I'd be shocked if yeah. somehow Jim Harbaugh gets fired. Like, that's not going to happen. Fifteen I don't think. million dollar buyout. Yeah. I think the, the, the better question to me is just, you know, where does this program go? And, and, and I think, can we expect more out of Jim Harbaugh? And I'm not sure that we can because, you know, I think it's important to note the difference between recruiting at a national championship level and recruiting at a conference title contention level. Michigan's recruiting at conference title contention level. They're, you know, they get up to eight. You know, four years ago, they had a number five class. Strong, all right? The year after that, they had the number 22 class. I mean, Not good. When, when you're Ohio State, you're competing for top three, top four classes every year. That means you're stacking top three, top four classes on top of top three, top four classes. You're competing with Alabama, Georgia, LSU for the best classes in the country. Michigan's not doing that. And the only program right now that is contending for national titles, and there's a distinct there's a distinct drop-off, there's a distinct uh, gulf, canyon, whatever you want to call it, between the national title contenders this year and everyone else. The only one that does it that can, can sprinkle in a top 15 class here and there is Clemson. And the, part of the reason that they can sprinkle in a top 15 class is because they're so good at hitting on the three-star types that are locker room guys and because they always get the five-star types that are going to change your program as well and sometimes their classes are smaller. Michigan, from a recruiting standpoint, just isn't indicating to us that it is ready to take the next step up to Michigan or to Alabama, Ohio State, uh, Georgia, Georgia tier. And so clearly Jim Harbaugh isn't out coaching anybody either. So, so what's Michigan's ceiling? You said Washington the other day? I think, I think they're Washington. I think they're Auburn. I think they are... Uh, you can maybe make a case for Notre Dame, but I think Notre Dame is actually taking a big step forward. Like, we're in the midst of seeing Notre Dame take a step forward. So those aren't bad places to be. I think that's the, whole, that's the point, too. Those are not – Washington and Auburn is not a bad tier to be on. That's still good college football. That's still being in big games. That's still being capable of beating teams any year, any given Saturday. It's just not where Michigan fans want – to be. One of the only problems I have with this, and I totally understand the recruiting gulf, is that when we looked at Michigan's roster this season, even though they lost a lot defensively, there was plenty of talent. They returned four starters from the best line in the Big Ten. They have five-star quarterback Shea Patterson. They have three great receivers who've combined for like 19 catches. Like it, It's been dismal. They have one of the best freshman running backs in college football. So that's kind of my thing here is like, you know, you want to talk about a talent deficit. Well, they just got their butt kicked by Wisconsin. They got more talent than Wisconsin. So I, I want to bring up one more point here, too. And, and it, I think it's a question worth asking about Jim Harbaugh's style. A, about is, is Jim Harbaugh still as dialed in as he ever was? Does he still have the energy he once was? Because I think 
If you ask people that are at Madison over the weekend, it didn't quite feel the same. But, but secondly, you always hear about this. You hear about it at Stanford. You hear about it in the NFL. Sort of this burnout rate for Jim Harbaugh players. Like at some point, they just, they just they can't keep up with, with his style. And it, it works a little better for college in the NFL because guys are, you know, they're leaving in three and four years. So at the, at the time you get burnt out with Harbaugh, you're gone. But we're seeing coaches leave Michigan for Ohio State, of all places. We're seeing tur- a lot of turnover on the staff. I just wonder if burnout rate with Harbaugh, burnout rate with the staff, burnout rate with his players is all part of this. And so to that point, is this season, because, hey, if you're Auburn, if you're Washington, if you're whatever that tier is, that's still not a bad place to be. The big, I think the question now is, is this season a bit of a cliff where now we see – We've sort of reached the end of the road with Harbaugh, and does it get you know does it get a lot worse now? So I think we're spending a lot of focus on like the limitations we're finding out about Michigan's ceiling, and I think rightly so. But I do think it is worth pointing out just how much he has raised the floor for Michigan. I mean, under Rich Rod, we had seasons of three and nine, five and seven, seven and six. Under Brady Hoke, eleven and two to start, but then eight and five, seven and six, five and seven. If eight and five in 2017, and there are a lot of close losses in there, and a young team, and a lot of things going on there, if that's if that's the absolute dud season for Michigan, like that. I mean, you're, if you compare it side by side with peak Lloyd Carr, like that's kind of what Harbaugh is doing right now, with the exception, of course, of the national championship season. I agree. I, that's. I mean, you you kind of pointed to that yeah, too. It, the- yeah, absolutely. But it's it's also he's raised its floor, but also like increased the target on their back. He's done. I mean. People love to hate Jim Harbaugh. It seems Harbaugh. like he's quiet. He's like he absolutely has. I wonder low. if that's intentional. There was no you know Amazon show this summer. I know we got to move on, but there, Connor made an interesting point the other day in the office. We were talking about Michigan has taken. Uh, we thought Michigan's new offense under Josh Gaddis might give it might give it a chance to make the playoff. And I was comparing that to well LSU got a new kind of offense under Joe Brady and look what LSU is doing. And Connor made an interesting point. He's like we're forgetting how long it actually took LSU to get there. Like, they, they've tried a few times. They had the Matt Canada experiment that didn't yeah. work out. Like, they've tried. So, you know, I asked Sam Webb. We, I had him on our podcast, our Michigan Insider. I said, do you think Jim Harbaugh might be tempted to just, like, kind of go back to his old ways? Because at least in 2018, you weren't getting blown out 35-0 in the fourth quarter. He said, I mean, sure, he's tempted, but it's not going to happen. They're going to stick with this. Maybe it'll work next year. Well, yeah, and, and I think, uh, man, I was going to say something, and I've, I lost my train of thought. But I think that, that's a... That, I think that's a great point on the LS. On, and I mean, look, they tried the Matt Canada deal. That didn't work. Yeah. Uh, now this, they got two years to get to the, to the Joe Brady years. Um, so it, it's, I, I think it's a fair point. And, and the Jim Harbaugh era. Um, oh, I, I know what I was going to say, huh. though. Here we I was going to say we had plenty of time. Yeah, what do yeah. you got? So let me get this. So as you, as you sort of approach the Jim Harbaugh era, um, <laughs> And I just lost. I lost <laughs> it again. Like, How old? Are you? I lost it again. What? CTE. Your, too your many wife hits, is man. watching, so yeah. I think he needs yeah. some of the memory <laughs> stuff. Maybe get him yeah. playing Sudoku in the morning. All right, <laughs> I'm going to move on to another topic. A very interesting topic here. Derek King down in Houston. He has elected after four games to redshirt this season, and it's very interesting because it's basically what he's doing is he's decided, well, we're not very good this year. I'm going to go on to next year and just. You know, we have a better chance. So, I mean, Trey, what are you laughing at? No, I'm not. not. You keep going. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing. This is 
that, that Houston has framed this as, as De'Eric King preserving his final season so that he can help Houston in 2020, I just, I'm calling BS. I agree. I'm calling absolute BS. The way this story went down on Monday was De'Eric King was going to leave and grad transfer somewhere. They circled the wagons two hours later, come out with a joint statement. The next day, Dana Holgerson, who, by the way, is De'Eric King's third coach at Houston. Dana Holgerson says, you know, he's, he's, yeah, I intend for him to be at Houston next year. De'Eric King says he intends. Well, he doesn't have to sign anything. I mean, he can just chill and work out in the weight room for three more months and leave in, in December if that's what he wants to do. And that's what I think he's going to do. I think that's what he's going to do, too. And because ultimately, if he's going to make a decision about where he's going to go in January, he does, has no idea what the right options are right now. He has no idea what the depth charts are. He has no, no idea, idea if Jake Fromm's coming back. If Jake Fromm's coming back, what, what injuries might have. I mean, like this, all of the information is, is forthcoming. And so what good does it do him to say I'm transferring? What good does it do him to go in the transfer portal right now? Um, so I think that all this is is a charade to show Look, and I think it is him giving Dana Holgerson an opportunity to, to, to say, hey, listen, coach, show me why this is going to be different. Show me why I can be excited about what's to come next year. Uh, talk about your plan for me over the next several months, and, and then I'll see where we're at in January. So, so we think this is more of a Kelly Bryant situation. Let's really quickly, though, assume it's not. Let's assume he is coming back. And so he, didn't, he is then breaking the mold. I guess we could call it tanking. It is tanking. In some sort. It's absolutely tanking. How do we feel about it? I, I, could I, anyone else do this? Like, could, okay. it, it, takes, it takes a year zero. Okay. It takes a first-year head coach and a year zero with a quarterback that's a borderline NFL prospect. If you've if, if you got a quarterback that's an elite, no-doubt NFL prospect, then it doesn't do him any good. But if he wants a mulligan, if your team wants a mulligan, then – it makes sense. So I think in very rare cases, I guess we could see this again. I think this is a – I think it, I'd be surprised if this becomes a trend. Yeah. I, I, this is assumed he comes know, back. Well, that's, that's but, my question because it's opened the door for it now and people can – Well, I want to toss it back to you and then back to Connor because as a fan of a team who's actually doing well, I'm not in this situation. But if you're a fan of a wow. team who's not – no, 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 it's not trolling. <laughs> if you're a fan of a team who's, whose season you're not going to achieve the goals you had, maybe that's a division title, would you be okay – with one of your best players sitting out the rest of the season? Yes or no? Uh, no. Okay. Connor? If this is NCAA football 2014, like yeah. Like the video game? I'm doing, yeah, <laughs> I'm doing that. But, like, it's a way more complicated with actual real people. Why? And What's the holdup? I don't know. I mean, I mean it just sounds Lins, weird. It just, it just sounds like it's hard to, to conceptualize. It's hard to I mean, visualize because it hadn't happened before. Right. But if you really think about it, why, like, why, why do you hesitate? Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's a thing like, where somebody's just got to be the first one to do it and normalize it. And I guess Derek King has done that now a little bit. But I think maybe you need to see it at a bigger program. I don't know. I'll answer your question. And yeah, if, if Yale if, wanted to. If, if, <laughs> If Yale had a good quarterback, maybe not much behind him, this was a, a year, like couple injuries on the offensive line popped early, season didn't get off to a good start, and they had a good team coming back the following year, I would absolutely be on board with redshirting the guy, basically calling a mulligan for this year. We'll play hard. 
you know, we'll get after it with our backup, but let's, let's circle the wagons for the following season and I'm, I'm good with it. I'm the same Don't. way. I'm the same way. Te- I, if Texas fell off a cliff in the next month and all of its injured players who are out right now, like Caden Stearns and Jalen, if they wanted to just sit out the rest of the year, I'd be okay with it. Seriously. So, I mean, if it's, if it's initiated by the players, then I guess that's yeah. different. Because well, this he, one is. This, yeah, the, right. Yeah, would you be okay if Ryan Holinsky sat out the rest of the season? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Oh, okay. Except for the fact that I don't really know what you're doing after, I guess, Dak Joyner. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll right. concede this. Let's, uh, let's, let's move on to USC. They are on their third string quarterback now, they, and they beat Utah Friday night. Uh, so w- w- can we figure this team out at all? I can't. How many times on this show, not just this year, but like honestly in the last two years, have we sat here and thought we knew what USC was going to do, and then we are proven totally and completely wrong? Thought USC would lose to Utah. I thought we'd spend the week talking about Clay Helton and Urban Meyer because he was there on Friday. And now we've got USC at 3-1. and one. Look, Washington on Saturday in Seattle, bye week, Notre Dame. If USC splits those games, I will stand on the table and stump for Clay Helton to keep his job. Because I don't know what else you want, especially with your quarterback situation, what it is. You're on your third stringer, Matt Fink. You've got JT Daniels out for this season. You've got Keaton Slovis in concussion protocol. I don't know what to expect, but look, Clay Helton has a chance here. Ryan Abraham for our USC site, 24-7 Sports, uh, retweeted this stat. I can't remember who actually posted it. USC's defense has had three, has, has forced three three and outs all season long. I think their defense has really good players, but maybe is, is still a ways away. And I think offensively, if anything, and if we're talking about Clay Helton, you got to give him credit, absolutely. But let's be real. The, who really deserves the credit here is Graham Harrell. Oh. To have these quarterbacks ready, to have, and, and I think the air raid system in general, like look at what Mike Leach does every year with some anonymous quarterback we've never heard of, and now, and, and then they ball out. Look at, you know, same thing with Texas Tech. How many times has a, under Cliff Kingsbury did a quarterback go down and then the backup comes in and throws for a, a 400 yards? At one point, someone's backup. Yeah. yeah. So I think, like, I, I give more credit in this, and I hate to do this because, I, I mean, I understand that Clay Helton has, has been a punching bag for a while, but I ultimately still think that this is Graham Harrell that's turning this thing around more so than Clay Helton. And I also think that I want to give credit to the players. And I go, hey, look, Clay Helton recruited them. But, like, those wide receivers, the plays those guys are making right now, it does, I, got, I could be the quarterback out there and just punt the ball up there and Michael Pittman go make a play for me. Like, that's, that's what's been the difference. And so, I mean, ultimately, I guess, yeah, maybe we give Clay Helton credit for getting those guys motivated, getting them playing harder. But – these are just, I mean, these are just, these are high football character players who I think are, are, are making plays in, in, in big moments. And, and I, I think those guys deserve the credit. And a lot of those guys are going to be gone next I'm year. I'm kind of surprised you're like honestly not giving Clay Helton more credit here. 
I'm just not. I mean, we've seen enough to to for me to feel like I know what Clay Helton so you is. Just, as a head so coach. If, and I think Clay Helton's a good head coach. Don't get me wrong. I think he's good. But if you're USC and you can have just about anyone in the country, I'm just still not sold. I'm not there. Um, now, to your point, hey, maybe they go and beat Washington and Notre Dame, and then, you know, uh, then then maybe I'll I'll I'll, I'll start. Look, riding with Clay remember a, a few more. years ago when Ed Orgeron was the interim coach at USC, and they just won a lot of games, but it just wasn't, like, enough for them? They kind of regretted that decision. They regretted? I think they regretted not keeping him. I think Ed Orgeron's oh, proven to be a good head coach. I, I, I no, no, I disagree with that. With I disagree with that. I think that. I think that Ed Orgeron was still in the process of evolving as a coach at that point. Uh, maybe they would have been okay keeping him, but I think he's probably a better coach right now in part because of that experience okay. at USC. Uh, and so I, I think that – I don't know if those two things are, are comparable. Um, the, the better comparison might be to say, you know, in year one at LSU with Ed Ogeron, fans were ready to fire him, and, and it's just – but, I mean, Clay Hilton's had time. It's crazy what a nice thing. new offensive coordinator can do. Yeah. I think Matt Fink comes back down to earth a little bit this Probably. week. Speaking of quarterbacks in USC, they just lost a big-time target to Alabama, who now looks like he's in line to be to his replacement. Alabama fans know they're richly spoiled by the weekly exploits of Tua Tonga-Vailoa, who rolls out of bed every Saturday and throws four touchdowns. But they also probably know this is Tua's last run in T-Town, as NFL teams are already tanking hard for him. And then what? The task of replacing an all-timer won't be easy, but it will be hotly contested, and it could go a number of different ways. Maybe Mac Jones gets it by virtue of seniority. The current backup arrived at Alabama in the same class as Tua, and he's waited his turn. He's also the only quarterback on the roster with any experience. Or Nick Saban keeps it in the Tonga-Vailoa bloodlines with Tua's younger brother, Talia, a four-star freshman who didn't draw the recruiting acclaim his older brother did, but surely has some of that magic. How about Paul Tyson, Bear Bryant's great-grandson, a big pro-style QB who, like Talia, was a four-star recruit in 2019. But given the lack of slam-dunk candidates and considering the way college football is trending, we think it just might be current high schooler Bryce Young, who flipped from USC to Alabama recently to give the Tide a huge recruiting win. At number four in the top 247, he'd be the highest-ranked guy in the QB room next year. Young's been compared to Russell Wilson, and he certainly plays like Tua, thriving in a similar system at California powerhouse Modern Day. He might not have the experience, but he has everything else Alabama needs to keep the tide rolling even after Tua leaves. All right, Barton, what can you tell me about this guy? I, I actually think he's a right-handed Tua, I, honestly. I think he's, he has the same sort of pocket instincts that Tua does and feeling the pressure. He has the same sort of live arm, similar-sized, classic, undersized quarterback that... 10 years ago, we would have written off as too small, but in today's game is sort of almost becoming the, the prototype, the preferred kid, because he has quick body movements. Um, he's mobile, functionally in the pocket, and he has played in huge games on huge stages and been outstanding. Uh, and, and he might be, you know, to this point so far this year, he's been arguably as good as anybody in the country regardless of position. So I, I think that this kid 
keeps Alabama on the same pace, the same track, keeps them working off the same blueprints offensively as they've been working off of. They don't need to, you know, turn back the clocks to the run game and lean on the defense and get the bus driver at quarterback again. No, I mean, this guy, and, you know, the way I – I visualize this and, and, and is, I mean, he's, a, he's the fighter pilot. You know, he can fly the, the fighter jet. And, uh, and I think that's what Alabama's offense has been under Tua. And I think it can continue to be that under Bryce Young. It's rare that we talk about recruiting on this show. Uh, but this is huge. Uh, Alabama flipping him from, from USC. We've got on the bar four-star. He's actually in the top two for seven in our rankings, the number four player in the country, the top quarterback. I think... Two interesting things here from like a macro perspective. His link with a fellow 2020 classmate, here we go, DJ Uyangalele, uh, the Clemson quarterback. I think one of the great things about college football is like when we link quarterbacks to a Jalen Hurts, um, from to a uh, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence in the same class. I think these, these two guys going to rival schools, we're going to see them maybe head to head in the playoff in a few years. And then the other thing is this, like, um, Alabama, I thought, was going to be the marquee landing spot for any possible grad transfer quarterback, knowing that Tua would leave. And so maybe like a Derek King. I think this takes him out of that running. I think this yep. opens up a spot for somebody else, and I think Bryce Young's a starter day one. It, it's, it is wild that two Southern California quarterbacks who might, like you could make a case, are the two best players in high school football at the, obviously, the premium position in football are going to Clemson and Alabama, the two teams that have absolutely distanced themselves from the rest of college football as as the premier destinations. And and it speaks to the sort of state of things Mm -hmm. at USC and UCLA and in the Pac-12 in general. And it speaks to the state of things at Clemson and Alabama where both schools have been always, they've recruited well for years, but over the last couple, both of them have have kind of opened up the door a little bit to just taking everything everywhere. Not just hey, picking and choosing a couple guys from Cali, and, and then we're going to get our southeastern footprint kids. I mean, no, they're they're you know they're taking no prisoners at this point. Connor, how are we looking on questions? Yeah, uh, we've got a question from Andy who wants to know, is it safe to say at this point Justin Fields is living up to the hype? He's accounted for 19 total touchdowns so far, averaging eight yards per play, combined passing and rushing. Uh, but competition's not been the greatest so far. What do we think? Let me jog your memory since it's bad today. A long time ago, <laughs> you famously wrote that Justin Fields was one day win the Heisman. Is that what he has to do to live up to the hype in your perspective? No, I don't think he, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think, and look, there's a lot of there's a lot of folks that were out there burying this kid. Is, are you doing this now? No, or I'm not. I'm not. There's a lot of folks that buried Justin Fields when he transferred from Georgia. I don't think now is the time to answer the question. I don't think now is the time to circle back and and give those folks some receipts. But he sure is tracking. I think he's lived up to the hype to this point, but we still need to see him do it in a big game. We need to see, you know, I think even Nebraska, frankly, this weekend, if Justin Fields has another monster day where he's completing 70 plus percent of his passes, you know, counts for four or five touchdowns and no interceptions, you can, I think you can probably stamp him at that point as, as living up to the hype because, you know, whether he wins the Heisman or not, it, it sure looks like he's going to be in the conversation for the majority of the year. 
Melissa wants to know which coordinator we think is having the best year so far. Mm. I got a couple that I like. I mean, Joe Brady at LSU is absolutely, yeah. I think, the, kind of almost the no-brainer because the way he's totally shifted that, that LSU offense. But I'm going to give you a couple others, too. Um, one is Clark Lee at Notre Dame based on what we saw last weekend at Georgia. They were great. They were awesome, yeah. right? I mean, it was a great game plan. The, the defense was prepared. The defense was physical. And I think probably the, the, the more impressive thing is almost all the linebackers that they lost last year, experienced deep linebacking group, week one against Louisville, they looked bad. They looked, they looked like they were new. They looked like they were inexperienced. Uh, Puma Pass was running all over them for the first four or five drives of the, uh, of the game. The way they've improved in just two games now, I think, speaks to what they're doing at, at, at Notre Dame and just developing guys and not just trotting them out and, and, and drawing up X's and O's. Those guys, I think, are developing. And then the other one I would say is Greg Madison at Ohio State. Uh, and you could probably throw Jeff Halfley in there, too. The co-defensive coordinator came from the 49ers. But that def- – I mean, remember last year? This – like this – we'll talk about this Nebraska game. But do you remember – I mean, last year, the – this is a similar game to that Purdue game, that, the upsets. And as you remember, I picked Purdue to win that game. I famously – yeah, I mean <laughs> – But the I reason – forget that. The reason that I picked Purdue to win that game was, because, was in part because of that defense. Their defense, as talented as it was last year, was a mess. Like, remember all the games that they were just getting – giving up explosive plays all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I think for them, and as talented as this defense is, for them in one year to have flipped the script and all of a sudden have tightened things down defensively and are playing as well as they are, I think speaks highly to Greg Madison, Jeff Halfley, and, uh, and some of the new additions, maybe some of the subtractions too on that uh, defensive staff. Uh, Kevin thinks Kirby Smart is too conservative. Presumably this is in reference to Kirby electing to go for the field goal instead of the touchdown late against Notre Dame. If I can editorialize a bit, uh, Kirby, well, maybe it wasn't Kirby making the call, but uh, Jake Fromm does air it out on third and long, and George Pickens nearly comes down with it and ices the game. So um, I don't know, guys, what do you think? Kirby Smart, too conservative? Yeah. I think Kirby Smart has been too conservative since he got there. The Athletic wrote a piece. Georgia, since 2016, is, has the fourth fewest fourth down attempts in college football, which is just crazy. And then the one time Kirby Smart decides not to be conservative is that ridiculous fake punt against Alabama with Justin Fields. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think conservative beats Notre Dame at home. I don't think conservative beats Alabama or Clemson. In fact, conservative absolutely has not beaten Alabama. Because that's they've twice blown double-digit leads to Alabama by just kind of taking the taking the foot off the gas, running the ball. Doesn't work like that in college football. You got to keep scoring. I, I think the I think the interesting thing about this Georgia team is in order to beat Notre Dame this past weekend. Because I, I really did a deep dive in looking at Notre Dame's defense and and like Alohi Gilman was playing in the box I, the majority of the snaps in the first half, and Georgia was just trying to bully. Notre Dame. In the second half, the way they beat Notre Dame was spreading, spreading them out, going four wides, and running the ball that way. But then you, they had like they were not going to win that game unless they threw the ball vertically. And it's, and just Jake Fromm is capable of doing that. 
So I, I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see how much they are willing to sort of open things up in the pass game because why not? People are talking about Jake Fromm as a potential first-round pick. you got a first-round pick at quarterback, you're not, and, and you got all these big bodies outside. Why not throw it up to those guys a little bit? You know how back in the day LSU used to send all this offensive talent out to the NFL and we'd be like, whoa, why didn't they do that there? Can't you see in like three yeah. years Jake Fromm is throwing for like 350 a game in the NFL? And we're like, huh. So he could do something more than go, go deeper than five. I don't know. Yeah. We got a couple questions coming in on Twitter slash Periscope. The first one is from James Rush, who wants to know, do you think UNC will have a chance to upset Clemson? No. <laughs> Small. Mm, uh, I mean, uh-huh. no, I don't think so. But doesn't Clemson always have one inexplicable game? And whether it's a loss or a close win, they always have one. I would argue that if you look at Clemson's schedule, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't. I think Clemson will blow Notre Dame or North okay. Carolina out. Okay. But if you look at their schedule, and if you're going to try, all right, where is the one inexplicable game where someone plays Clemson close or upsets them? I would say North Carolina is probably the best bet. So how about that? Yeah, uh, last year. I would say maybe last year Clemson did a lot of work toward kind of putting that narrative to bed, although you did have 27 to 23 against Syracuse. That's the whole uh, point. That was the they game. They didn't play well against Syracuse, and they still blew them out. I thought that was maybe their inexplicable game. This year? Yeah. But Syracuse this, is terrible this year. Oh. So is North Carolina, maybe. Is the game in Chapel Hill? Yeah. Okay. Um, we have a, another question on Twitter from Mike McCann, regular viewer. Uh, he wants to know, will, will Muschamp finally prove he's a better head coach than Mark Stoops? After all, don't the head coach ranking list consistently have Muschamp ahead of Stoops? I am oh, shocked you yeah. asked that question, Connor. Why? Oh, that's just catnip for him. Well, you I answer that question, my man. I don't, what do you think? Will, will Muschamp finally prove he's better than Mark look, Stoops? I said that I actually got asked this on Twitter. This is probably the same question. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, Mark Stoops could beat somebody 100 times and would still be right below that guy. It doesn't matter who it is. Wake Forest guy, South Carolina. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Like, the uh, press does not give them the program. The any press. Program. <laughs> what are you, <laughs> Trump? <laughs> well, whatever. The media. What do you want me to say? I mean, he's got a five-year winning streak going against South Carolina, despite the fact Is it five years yes. now? Wow. It predates Phil Steele's law. consistently out-recruits them, and, like, that's... That's where Will Muschamp is in the most trouble right now. It's not the fact that you lose to the teams that you expect South Carolina would lose to. It's that you're getting flat-out beat by teams that you beat on the recruiting trail every single year in UNC and Missouri and uh, possibly again for the sixth time in a row against Kentucky on Saturday. All right, here's one from Eli Coronis. Texas still has a lot to play for this season, but with all the injuries... And with the general feel that Ellinger will be back for his senior season, is that true? Is that yeah, the general feel? Of course, yeah. <laughs> Do you feel that next year is the year that Texas finally makes the big run to the title? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not saying this year is not the year. Uh, Texas next year is going to go into Baton Rouge and say, hey, Miles Brennan, you don't look remotely like Joe Burrow. We're going to beat you pretty good. Uh, Sam comes back. Defense is going to be stout. Yeah, Texas is, I think next year, Texas is preseason top five. Who is, who are, who is one year away? Is A&M a year away? <clears throat> A&M might be a year away. Penn State might be a year away. Um, and then Texas. Clemson's still a year away. 
Clemson is a year away, actually. That's yeah. ridiculous. Clemson the is a year away. The got coming in. Yeah. Um, maybe Florida. We'll see. We'll yeah. see if they can, uh, you know, fortify their recruiting efforts. Yeah, 2020, the year of Clemson. Oregon. No, they lose Justin Herbert. Never mind. Maybe he can redshirt. <laughs> we got a couple people chiming in on our Michigan conversation from earlier, though they're not really questions necessarily. But uh, Elda Liparoto, sorry if I butchered your name, uh, it says, how Michigan is playing falls on the coach. He just hasn't done his job, period. And then this one, I like laughed 30 times reading it. Jim Softball should watch who he calls cheaters. Not really a question there. I just wanted to say Jim Softball. Who's, wait, what, what did he say? He's just Jim making fun of Jim Harbaugh, just calling oh, him soft. Oh, I didn't catch that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, uh, uh, actual question. Brenda Joy Horton Carter asks on Facebook, what do y'all think about Kyle Trask? Uh, Is he the quarterback of the future? I still think Kyle Trask is basically like a, a net zero okay. in terms of like Felipe Franks. Gives you a little more maybe as a thrower, gives you a little less as a runner, can do everything you were going to do before with Felipe Franks, no more, no less. So in that sense, I think you feel pretty good about what you can accomplish with Kyle Trask. There's something fascinating going on with like the Florida fans' dislike or just annoyance with Felipe Franks. That's been kind of simmering for a year now and kind of how they're rallying around Kyle <laughs> Trask. I don't know. I'm gonna, it's going to be an interesting offseason, I think, in Gainesville. All right. Uh, thank you, Connor. So let's uh, move on, talk a little Tennessee. Kevin Boiler talks to Wes Rucker, a little Tennessee on this week's Boiling Point. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Hello everyone, welcome to Boiling Point, where we put our publishers to the test by asking them a few pointed questions. Tennessee is one and three on the season, and fans are running out of patience with second year head coach Jeremy Pruitt. With me today to discuss this situation is Wes Rucker of Go Vols 24-7. Wes, the Vols host number three Georgia next, followed by a game against Mississippi State, and a trip to play number two Alabama after that. Do you see things getting a lot worse before they get any better? I absolutely do, Kevin. I think Tennessee's in a really tough spot right now. Uh, you know, th this should be, frankly, this should be a team that's three and one at bet, you know, at worst with maybe a single digit loss to Florida. Uh, but they've not been able to get out of their own way and, and things have gotten pretty bad. They're one and three and I don't see any, I don't see any way around them being one and six, you know. 
Maybe they play well against Mississippi State at home. Maybe, just maybe, there's a chance there. But Georgia and Bama, those are going to be losses. Uh, those were chalked up as losses before the season. Uh, you can chalk them up for sure as losses now. And things are going to get worse before they get better. This is a team that I think has some young players that, that could provide a better future for the program. Um, but they're going to get their noses bloody for a little while longer first. This is going to be a, a tough few weeks for them. Tough month, too. Pruitt coached the Vols to five wins in his first season as head coach, Wes. And looking at the remaining schedule, he's going to be hard-pressed to match that win total in 2019. How much worse can things get before Tennessee is forced to make a change? I think things would have to be pretty cataclysmic, Kevin. I, I think there would have to be almost in addition to a, a terrible record on the field. I, I think there would need to be perhaps some sort of an off-field controversy or something. I, I don't... I don't think Tennessee's in a place financially right now uh, to do this. I think that they're still paying Butch Jones to not coach their football team. If all of a sudden they're they're not coaching Jeremy Pruitt and not or not paying Jeremy Pruitt or Butch Jones to coach the football team, uh, the buyouts with Pruitt's and his staff alone would be maybe $12, 13, 14 million dollars, uh, and, and that's a lot of money even for a place like Tennessee. So I don't think they're in a place right now where they can do much about this. I think they kind of have to to give this guy a chance to see if he can turn it around. I I could be wrong. Things could get to a point where a couple of the big-name donors, everyone knows who they are, if they really want to step up to the plate and and throw millions and millions of dollars worth of checks out there, maybe they could do something. Uh, But right now, I I don't see them in a position to do that, uh, frankly, and I think this is going to be at least a three-year project that Jeremy Pruitt gets to try to accomplish. Wes, thank you so much for stopping by. As Pruitt tries to right the ship at Tennessee, make sure you're following Wes on Twitter and reading his work over at Go Vols 24-7. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Wes Barton. As Tennessee stares down what could be a 3-9 and nine season, I'm kind of looking at that Pete Thamel article on Yahoo Sports from last week in which he describes the fact that a lot of people in the SEC are wondering if Philip Fulmer is eyeing a coup. If he's ready for the Tennessee schedule to get a little less brutal, I don't know, after the Alabama game, and take over for Jeremy Pruitt, who has a $10 million buyout. Is, is there any logic to this? Obviously, we think it'd be a bad decision. <laughs> uh, I mean, I like the conspiracy theory yeah, element of it. Just for, yeah, just, you know, it's salacious and it's exciting and it's Game of Thronesy. And uh, so I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't put it past Philip Fulmer. Feels like the type of guy that really does sure. believe that he's still like so he, sh- he should have never. And and hey, look around him. Got Herm winning Arizona State. Matt you got Mac Brown. coming. The Mac attack is back, and you got all, all these guys coming back and and making making a pretty good run at it. So you got to think he's kind of looking in the mirror in the morning and saying, "Man, I still got this." Tennessee fans are are wishing for the days of Butch Jones. Well, I don't know. You don't know? I don't know if they are. I, no. God, in, fact, I, I, in fact, I feel confident that they're not. So they, they're, they're pleased with because the trajectory. Because I, I think that you still, that Tennessee fans, not to speak for Tennessee fans, but I would don't suspect that. that they feel like this is more a product of what Butch Jones left than what Jeremy Pruitt is. Well, I disagree with that I as well. I don't know. They're like, they start to turn? No, yeah. Bad. Are they starting to turn on him? Yeah. This is pretty bad. Jeremy Pruitt said the other day that this team is better than Tennessee's team last year, which is, I just said it was 100 times better. Frankly, very incorrect. Jared Guarantano is literally way worse than he was last year. 2018 Tennessee would beat 2019 Tennessee by a touchdown. 
I think this is one of the more fascinating storylines in college football as things could go. And they got a bye week, and then I think they have Georgia. But, like, Tennessee, like, their problem to me, their patience has run out with coaches because they went Lane Kiffin lasted a year. Then well, they that had Payne. Lane, that was Lane's decision. But yeah. Right, but they only lasted a year. Then they, they had no other choice but get Dooley. And that, I mean, and then they moved on the butch. That didn't work out. And now it's been 10 years since they've had a consistent winner since, the, you know, the 90s. They, they panicked. At, it's like they panicked after that Wyoming loss in 2008, I think it was, yeah. Fulmer. And they fired Fulmer. But, like, there's no, like, there's no patience anymore in college football or any college sports at all. People want to win now. And why can't he get, like, a little time for a rebuilding project? I mean, he'll get, he'll get another year unless Philip Fulmer decides not, he doesn't. Yeah, I'm not saying he's the guy, but they're giving him zero time yeah. to implement. Well, what's the, the frustrating thing if you're Tennessee is this year looks like it's going to be, like, a two-win season or three. Yeah. Like, it looks like a, it's going to be a bad situation. So to think that you have to get in year three that six and six – constitutes some huh. massive improvement is a little bit tough to swallow. So uh, it, it's, it's a frustrating spot to be in at Tennessee. And considering the staff that he's put together at Tennessee, it's, and considering the recruiting class they brought in last year, like it's, it's kind of hard to conceive how they're this bad. Well, we got a, a question on Periscope. Uh, besides uh, the quarterback position, are there any areas where it's like super noticeable that Tennessee has gotten worse this year? I think that they've – I'm surprised that their defensive line – I mean, I guess – I don't know they if they're worse, anyone. but they didn't get better at defensive line. And that's surprising to me. As bad as their defensive line was last year, that they're still as bad is – I think that's been the big sort of and, – and, and, hey, even to secondary. Like, they played th- young guys last year. I think their defense year. is going to be good. They played young guys in the secondary last year. When you mix in those guys with some highly regarded upperclassmen from previous recruiting classes, you would think the secondary would be able to hold up, and it's not been that impressive either. Yeah. Um, All right, I'm going to segue us over to Josh's big bet, everyone's favorite part of the show. Josh won $22,000 at the World Series of Poker, and every week he's betting $22,000 or all all he has. And what do you have, Josh? Hold on, don't open that yet. What do we got? So you're at zero. We're at zero. So we're a bad bet away from the red Ah. after a second straight Ah. loss. So you're gonna open that envelope up, and then you got 15 seconds to read it out and make your decision. What do you call this in, in poker parlance? You short stacked right now? No, you're broke. You're broke. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's pretty. Easy. Well, we're giving you. Well, we're giving you 22 grand. Well, we're gonna give you 22 grand even if you go in the red. Give me back up on my feet. Yeah. Don't examine the logic of this game too closely. Yeah. You're short yeah, Well, <laughs> I think everybody knows what game this is. Yeah. So right. Kentucky at South Carolina. South Carolina is favored by three. Okay. Start the clock. Start the clock. I have one very simple thing to say. Kentucky does not lose to South Carolina. Give me Kentucky plus three. Stop it. Wow. Well said. This is well said. This is a big week. The rest of the college football world is looking at Washington, USC, and Notre, or, uh, Ohio State, Nebraska. And here in the office, we've got South Carolina, Kentucky as sort of our misery pit. Kentucky, South Carolina is the biggest game in the 24-7 sports office. No question. Yeah. Of the year. No Maybe question. of the year. No question. Yeah. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Hey, Connor, let me ask you real quick. Yeah. So if Ooh, you look, a little, hey, a little oh, mano y mano. No, 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 no. make a little bet? Yeah. No, 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 it's not, not that. If he loses this game, what is – because, honestly, I like to go – I'll read the comments of South Carolina yeah. fans and what they think about Kentucky. If he loses this game, what does that mean? 
I mean, he's lost the fan base at this point. The question is now, what will it take for him to lose the AD? Uh, Ray Tanner has gone on the radio as recently as yesterday saying all of the right things, making all the encouraging noises that you'd expect an AD to make. So no public sign that he's changed his mind. Um, maybe concern for Ray Tanner, the, the AD at South Carolina is, you know, his he has not exactly covered himself in glory as AD. It's a little bit complicated. Very successful baseball coach, won two national titles. But South Carolina does have a new school president who is kind of an outsider, a bit of a wild card. I don't think everybody really, really super knows what to expect from him. So, I mean, maybe the way this goes down is you, you make a move at AD first and then the rest happens. So, Oof. Wow. Stakes yeah. are high. Yeah. yeah, stakes are high. Well, I'm excited about is this. Game. A, this is uh, it's a night game. It's in Columbia. It's in Columbia. Yeah, it's a night game too. Ooh. I mean, what kind of you, strong, big atmosphere? I mean, we're gonna move on here in a second. Like, do you think it would be crazy? I don't know. I mean, they're certainly trying to pump the fans up on social media about this being a huge game. But I think I would expect the crowd to not be great, given the way that, given that, uh, I guess two years ago. South Carolina really put a lot of marketing hype behind uh, turning out for this Kentucky game, and that was a dud. Um, I think the fan base is probably worn out. I would not expect the best crowd. All right. Enough, yeah, enough that's, Kentucky, that's South Carolina guys. talk. You guys. <laughs> that was too much. All right, let's move on to Take a Palooza. Hot takes by these guys. Trey, what do you got this week? This isn't even that hot. So when we were in high school and when Barton was like well out of college, Boise State was the group of five, the mid-major team of the 2000s, the 2010s have been defined by UCF. The 2020s are all SMU. Sonny Dykes has a really good thing going in Dallas. They're 4-0 for the first time since 1984. So basically, the next group of five school that you're going to hear complaining about not getting in the playoff is the SMU Mustangs. Is Shane Buchel the best quarterback in Texas? That's a ridiculous and absurd <laughs> take. Sam Ellinger. You should be ashamed of yourself. Um, all right. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. fine. I'm fine with that. Passes that take. Smell test. Ex- uh, acceptable. What my, do you got, big guy? My take is geared towards this USC-Washington game. I think that Jacob Eason reemerges as a potential first-round pick this weekend. I'll take it a step further. Jacob Eason emerges as a first-round favorite after this weekend, uh, he becomes an NFL draft darling. I mean, the guy throws a beautiful football. He's got a monster arm. Uh, that Washington offensive line has made things easy for him. His wide receivers have been up and down catching the ball, but when they catch it, he's, he's very productive. So I, I think he has a big game against USC. I'm a big fan of Jacob Eason. Uh, Connor, got any more questions over there? Uh, we sure do. Let's see. Um, uh, Woody Strickland asked, is Florida for real? What do you think maybe when we beat Auburn we'll get some respect? I don't think Florida is for real yet. I mean, it's a, like I get what you're getting at is why are more people respecting this undefeated Florida team? It's because you haven't looked impressive in any of your wins. So absolutely, yeah, if you beat Auburn, I will, th- th- I will change my tune on Florida. But to this point, name the game that Florida looked good right. in. They won, and you get credit for winning, and uh, you, you get you advance to the next round and the next opportunity to prove that you are a legit team on the national landscape. But until you show me a perf- an impressive performance, I can't sit here and and tout the Gators this and year. That week zero win over Miami gets worse as the weeks go on. Miami's really bad. Yeah, I mean Miami was messing around with Central Michigan. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that uh, game against Auburn is on October 5th after a game against Towson this weekend. Uh, we've got a question from William Wagner, uh, again, circling back to our Michigan discussion. He says, hey, you know, a thing we might be overlooking is that Wisconsin might just be that good. We get blowouts in the college football playoffs every year. So if Wisconsin is that good, maybe we're overreacting a bit to how bad things are in Michigan. I like. I appreciate that glass half full approach. That's an optimistic that was a look Michigan at things. No, I don't know. I don't know who it was. I'm just saying this is just an optimistic way of looking at it. Let's not look at the bad. Let's look at the good. I the- got confirmation it was a Michigan fan. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well. I mean, look, I will tell you, I will say this. I do think Wisconsin probably is that good, but that's that's beside the point. If Michigan made it to the playoffs and got beat by someone like this, that would still be a bad look. I I think the whole idea of this Michigan team is that it's supposed to be that good. It's supposed to be the team that does this to contenders, and we've, we've yet to see that, and it's starting to look like we might not see it. I love Wisconsin. Best defense in the country. I love Wisconsin. Best running back in the country. Jack Cohn's not mess. We said Jack Cohn needed to just be a guy. He's being a guy. He is. Uh, my, my Jack, Jack Cohn, to me, has some very Jake Fromm vibes to him. Well, that's, I'm not that's saying he's a first-round pick, but Jack Cohn. I, I almost feel like you're insulting Jake Fromm with that. I mean, what he, he they, their their numbers have been pretty similar, honestly. Yeah, but they're you know efficient. where I stand on Jake Fromm. I, 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 I waiting for Jake Fromm to kind of be you know uncorked and like let's let Jake Fromm do what he should do. Would would here's my question on Wisconsin. Two years ago, when they were not last year, when they kind of had a letdown, but two yeah. years ago when Alex Hornibrook was kind of holding them back, and everyone was like, just just Alex Hornibrook, just play decent. And what what were we gonna have if Jake Fromm was your quarterback that year? What would that team have been like? Mm. Maybe yeah, we'll see if Jack Cohen is that guy. Yeah. Uh, question from Facebook from Olanderus Turner. He wants to know what team does Bama have to look out for this year? LSU. I mean Auburn. All of the tough. Auburn. All of the all of the big games for Alabama, I think, are going to be tough. But uh, what are the big games? Alabama LSU and Auburn. Or Auburn, LSU, Georgia, and I. I, I don't. Well, Georgia and the SEC I don't think Bama is going to blow out LSU or Auburn. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. Uh, at least not LSU. Okay. Uh, we'll see if if, uh, if Bama figures something out to Auburn. They could limit Auburn offensively yeah. in a way that maybe uh, others haven't been able to yet, but we'll see. Uh, that's it on the question front. All right, let's get to the fan of the week. It's Taylor Harden on Facebook. His question is, what, <clears throat> what are the odds Urban Meyer is even considering going to Michigan? Uh, zero. zero. I think zero. Point uh, yeah. zero. I think Urban Meyer has been zero. has been leaning so hard into this the team up north stuff and is and 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 really values the legacy that he left at Ohio State to the point where I would give it a zero point zero percent chance. He would only he do to it to troll Jim Harbaugh because he'd be like, "Watch this, I'm going to make the playoff that you couldn't make." Absolutely no shot. Because it would totally, it would, it would napalm it would kill his, his, legacy. his Ohio State and legacy. And he was lucky to walk out of Columbus with a legacy. Yeah, and uh, Meyer has specifically addressed this this week, saying, like, kind of laughing and saying no um, for whatever that's worth. I still feel like he's loyal to Ohio State, even though he's not there. Oh, of course. I think he would be. He he's going to go to USC. I think he would be reluctant to take the job of a rival of Florida. Florida. Okay. I, I mean, I just think he's there's some level of loyalty and legacy that's very present in uh, his thinking. It's kind of like Rick Pitino at Louisville. 
Okay. Never mind. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to this week's picks. Uh, let's check out the scoreboard here. I don't think I did well again. I might as well just cancel my picks. For oh! What did I go? Six and four? Yeah. Well, you know who's consistently wow. at the top? Me. Is your boy. And it's me. You it wasn't were actually, like this last year. Barton, you were last last year, so you're not No, I'm saying this, this year. Like, you guys are bouncing I'm around. Consistently. Like, I'm just on the top of the leaderboard. Look at me crushing life. Man. Hey, Connor, right before we get started, you got a little information on a contest? Yeah, yeah. if you want to pick along with us, uh, we're dropping a link in the, in the chat that you can click on and enter the CBS College Football Pick'em Challenge. Uh, you can pick along with the four of us and also be entered to win $1,000. So who doesn't like that? Have you told Barton he needs to, in fact, sign up and do his picks? I have not. Okay. I, I just kind of figured that would be too big of a get, so I wasn't even going to fire that bullet. Um. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, the game tonight, Navy and Memphis. Memphis is a 10.5-point favorite. Yeah, I mean, always the possibility of getting navied here, but uh, I'm gonna. it's at home uh, for Memphis, so I'm going with the Tigers. I, too, am worried about getting navied here uh could be a lot of offense going on. I got Memphis, though. I think there's not going to be a lot of offense. I actually think this Memphis team's strength is their defense. Uh, Navy's also playing really good defense. Uh, I'm actually on the under in this one, under 54 and a half. But in terms pick. of the win, I'm going to go with Memphis to take care of business at home. I like Memphis at home. Big spread. Give me Memphis. All right, let's move on to Penn State. Number 12 Penn State's a six and a half point favorite at Maryland. Yeah, I was desperate for, I was looking for a reason to pick Maryland in the upset here. My wife's a Marylander, my father-in-law ran track at Pitt, so I was, I was eager for a chance. But uh, even in looking not great and uh, almost losing to Pitt, Penn State still managed to really shut down their run game. And if that happens again against Maryland, I think Maryland doesn't really have a chance. So I'm going with the Lions. Friday night, College Park, Maryland. Gets back on track after losing to Temple. I'm not sold on Penn State's offense. Great defense, yes. Maryland makes enough plays offensively to pull the upset big time. I actually, I mean, I don't, I don't dislike that pick at all. I think that's actually a really realistic scenario. Uh, I think they're taking off class Friday afternoon at Maryland. Nice. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of energy around that, this, this game. These two teams don't really like each other. And that said, I, I just think Penn State still has more playmakers. Their offense is still getting warmed up. Their defense is going to get some stops. I think Josh Jackson has shown too much, too many limitations as a downfield passer. So I'm gonna go with Penn State, but uh, I acknowledge that this is gonna be a scary, scary trap for the Nittany Lions. I took Penn State. I'm a little confused by this Maryland team. Who are they? What are, like, I, I, don't, I just don't know. So yeah. I, I've watched Penn State a little bit more than they have, so I like Penn State here. Uh, Arizona State is a four and a half point favorite at number 15, California Cal. Yeah, a guiding principle I'm trying to go with here, and I should probably check and see if this is paying off for me or not, but uh, is to not trust uh, bad offenses on the road, uh, especially against a good defense like Cal. So I'm going with the Bears. Cal, great defense. And uh, Chase Garbers, I got to give him some props. Four touchdowns against Ole Miss. I th thought he was the worst quarterback in Power Five. Cal's rounding into form. It's yeah. like 2007 all over again. Yeah, it was against Ole Miss. Okay. So let's not let's not go overboard just okay. yet. Uh, I mean, honestly, they got lucky there at the end of the game. So yeah, was, SEC. Okay. So that's no, not. I, but I do think that Cal at 4-0 is one of the the I think more fraudulent records in the country right now. 
Cal's a good team, don't get me wrong, but 15th in the country, I'm not there. I think this Arizona State team, they've been competitive in every game. They, they pulled the upset against Michigan State. I think they are ready once again to pull the upset in another crazy Pac-12 late-night game. I think Arizona State wins this one. I am not doubting Herm. He's a four-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Give me Arizona State. Number 18, Virginia at number 10, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, Virginia's had some close scrapes with FSU and Old Dominion uh, last week. So I, at, at Notre Dame, maybe there's a letdown after Georgia, uh, but I'm going with the Irish. Hey, Virginia's got a great defense, but offensively, I don't think they're going to get much going against Notre Dame. Irish. Yeah, I agree. I, I think uh, Bryce Perkins has been a little banged up this year. I think that limits him. I think the you know the the threats on the perimeter are, are not what Georgia brought to the table. Um, this is a little different offense in terms of a quarterback that can run, which might challenge Notre Dame defensively. Um, so I do think it's going to be a, a relatively low-scoring game, and I do think that Virginia could cover this. But I think Notre Dame is a really good football team and really good football teams win these kind of games. I came away from that Georgia game so impressed with Notre Dame. I, I really l like that team. And I think by the end of the year, you're going to hear from them being in the conversation with the playoff. Notre Dame wins easily. Take a Palooza. <laughs> there you go. Did you yep. say they're going to be in the playoffs? I say they're going to hear talk. from them. We're going to hear from them okay. in the playoffs. Like the, yeah. Uh, number 21, USC at number 17, Washington. Washington is a 10-point favorite. Yeah, I mean, honestly, who knows with this USC team, but I think we're maybe been discounting Washington a little bit too heavily for a weird, weird loss against Cal. Um, I think Washington will get it done at home here. I'm so glad this game's at 2.30 Central Time. <laughs> I, I am really excited to watch Jacob Eason. It's going to be a beautiful setting out there in Seattle. Can't predict USC. We'll probably regret this. I'm going to Washington, though. Yeah, I'm going to Washington, too. Uh, I'm a little surprised no one's picking USC for the upset here, but I, I, I certainly am not. I, I think Washington, their offensive line has been great. Their receivers had a good week last week. I think that that's going to help Jacob Beeson out. Their defense, replacing all those starters, is starting to come together. Uh, and I think USC, after the run they had this early season, brutal slate, just runs out of steam here. And I also think Matt Fink, in his second game where we really see extensive action out of him. I think Washington has him figured out and uh, Jimmy Lake's boys in the secondary make a few plays. Oh, Josh, you just kind of like called us all out for not taking the upset. You've no. gone all chalk here. No, no, oh. I'm just surprised that I'm, I'm surprised no one's got sort of sucked into picking USC. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, I'm, that's my point is I think USC on the surface seems like this is a ripe opportunity to pull an upset and none of us are, are buying it. Well, I mean, is the line – I picked Washington, by the way, but does it surprise you that the line is 10 points? That's I a, mean, that's a again, I, I think it's I, – I, I would take Washington laying the points here, but I would guess – I haven't looked at, the, at the, the numbers, but I would guess most of the public would be on USC here. Yeah. Uh, Iowa State is a three-point favorite at Baylor. Yeah, we haven't really talked about Baylor because a lot of it's, uh, they're Baylor and they haven't really played much of anybody, but they can only play against the team in front of them. And so far, they are 11th in the country in yards per play offense. I think they'll get it done at home against the Cyclones. I will apologize on camera next week if I'm wrong here. Connor, that's your worst pick you've ever made. Baylor beat Rice 21-13. to Don't understand how you could possibly think they're going to beat Iowa State. Cyclones. I, I mean... I think they could very – I mean, I absolutely think they could beat Iowa State. And, I mean, if you 
clearly they were overlooking Rice. Clearly they were just trying to get by that game. This is a huge game for them. I, I just, I've, I've been a believer in Iowa State from the beginning. They really should have beat Iowa. Uh, they obviously put up big numbers on ULM. I think Iowa State wins this game, but I think this is going to be a fantastic Big 12 game, and, and uh, Baylor could win it to me. I am going to roll with Iowa State. Miss, Mississippi State at number seven, Auburn. Auburn is a 10.5-point favorite. Yeah, I don't really know what theory of the case you could construct for Mississippi State winning this game. Maybe Bo Nix just has a lot of errors, but uh, I don't see it. Auburn gets it done at home. Yeah, Auburn, big. Auburn, the Mississippi State had trouble stopping the run, and, and if Lee Autry and Willie Gay are not in this week, they were last week, we saw it happen against Kentucky. If they're out this week with suspension, then that's a bad, bad news for, uh, for Mississippi State. I think Auburn, as physical as they looked against Texas A&M, is gonna give Mississippi State some trouble. I agree with Trey, Auburn big. Washington State at number 19, Utah. Utah is a five point, or five and a half point favorite, excuse me. Very low confidence for me on this pick, but I'm going with the Cougars. We've seen Utah get exposed a little bit by the Air Raid offense last week against USC. Good point about the Air Raid. Someone's got to bounce back here. I'm going with the team that's going to put up a lot of points. I'm glad we're going to be split here a little bit. I'm going to go Utah. Uh, I, I, I do admit the Air Raid is a little bit of a concern here for this Utah defense, but so is Washington State's physicality. Uh, they weren't tackling anybody against UCLA. I think Utah out-tuffs them and wins. Yeah, I like Utah. Utah's at home. I, I think they bounce back and win. Kansas State at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Another tough one, Kansas State. Chris Kleeman's doing a great job there at getting that program kind of back on level footing. I like Oklahoma State, but I think Kansas State will pull it out. Uh, Got to watch Oklahoma State for a long time on Saturday night. I wasn't that impressed. Texas should have blown them out. Had two muff punts inside the 10. That led to two of Oklahoma State's three touchdowns. I don't think Oklahoma State can stop Kansas State on the ground, so I'm going Wildcats. Didn't Oklahoma State also have a couple of turnovers inside, or fumble and stop on downs inside the red zone well, as well? That's their fault. I, I think, but look, I, I think this Oklahoma State team is scary, dangerous, but I trust Kansas State more. I love their physicality. Um, this is a this is a tricky game, but I'm going to go with the underdog in Kansas State. I don't know. I went to Oklahoma State here. Not really sure. Yeah, someone's got to make it. Like we got to yeah, split. Something. I, well, I got to catch up to you guys anyway, so I'm glad I picked mm -hmm. them. Uh, number five, Ohio State, 17 and a half point favorite at Nebraska. Yeah, I mean Ohio State's been killing everybody on their schedule. Nebraska's been struggling with everybody on their schedule. Uh, other than it being home field advantage for Nebraska, I don't really see a reason not to go with the Buckeyes. We've spent the last few months kind of gearing up to pick our guy, Scott Frost, huh. to beat Ohio State in this big week five college game day statement game. I don't have it in me. Ohio State is really, really good. Nebraska, for its part, hasn't been who we thought they would be. So I'm sorry, Scott, I'm going Buckeyes. Yeah, I don't think that there is any case that can logically be made for Ohio State to lose this game. Uh, they've just, they haven't shown any weaknesses yet this year. Um, Buckeyes big. I agree. Buckeyes big. They're one of the best teams in the country. No way they're losing this game. They're in the playoff hunt. <laughs> Give me Ohio State. You were, <laughs> what? Just, what? Just making a lot of takes over there. Well, excuse me. I'm just trying to contribute to the show. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I mean, what do you want me to do? No, you're doing a great job. Okay, sorry. All right, well, uh, any part, parting shots here? Uh, 
No, I'm good. This okay. is this is let, let the let the games begin. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, All right. Uh, thank you so much for Barton, Trey, Connor, everybody in the back, Mike, Kevin, uh, Colin, Ted, of course. Ted. Thank you so much. See you next week. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.